Shmuel Bet, Chapter 2. The situation is this. King Saul and his sons have been slain in a massive war against the Philistines. And so the path is clear now for David to actualize his kingdom. Well, you would think so, but we'll see it's not so simple. The path isn't that clear after all. It's not like anything is automatic. You know, he can just announce to everybody, I'm the king now. It doesn't work that way. Saul may be dead, but there's still a very strong infrastructure for Beit Shaul. The house of Saul isn't dead. Saul is dead. So we'll see that it's not going to be easy for David to break through. So let's see now how chapter 2 opens. And it was afterwards. Vayishal David Ba'ashem Lemor. And David asked the Shem, and he said, Should I go up to one of the cities of Judea? That is, should I get out of the underground now in the open to one of the Judean cities? And Hashem said to him, Yeah, go up. Where should I go up? Hashem said, Go to Hebron. So let's break this verse apart a little bit. It opens up, and it was after this. After what? Well, maybe it was right after he said his kinah in the last chapter, right after he lamented how the mighty have fallen, he immediately left Siklag before Chish comes back. Or it could simply mean, it was after this, after Saul fell, David wants to know his next move. Now, the other thing we want to know is, why is he asking in the first place? Shouldn't he just go for it? Well, there are a couple of reasons why he asks. The Malbim, he says that maybe David is in doubt whether his time has come yet. Maybe his time hasn't come. We're going to see that Avner Bener is still holding the house of Saul together. And so maybe David has to make way for Saul's son. That's what Avner thinks. So maybe David isn't sure that this is the exact time to actualize his Malchut. Rabbi Kahana says that David is asking these questions because, look, everything's changed. There are new facts on the ground. So he wants to know, is it the time to come out of the underground and actualize my malchut? Is that what I should be doing now? Anyway, we see Hashem says, yes, leave Achish, Tziklag, and go to Hebron. And Hebron, of course, is the most important Judean city. So it makes a lot of sense that David will go to Hebron. Okay, verse 2. Vayalsham David nashav, and David went up with his two wives, Achinom Hayizraelit, Achinom from Jezreel, Vavigail, Eshet Naval Karmali, and his other wife was Avigail, the wife of Naval from Carmel. So it's kind of obvious that David is going to take his wives with him. So why does scripture have to say it? Well, it's to show that he's out of the underground, he's doing things in the open. He's going to Hebron with no fear, taking his wives with him. And why should he fear? After all, God told him to go to Hebron. So he has bitachon, and he does it. Next verse. And the men who were with him, remember those 600 men? They went up with David. Each man with his household. So David obviously brought his men with him. And then it says, Ve'yeshev. And they dwelled in the cities of Hebron. So why does it say that David's men dwelt in the cities of Hebron, Hebron, and not in Hebron proper? Well, maybe Hebron itself was maybe too small for them, so they lived in adjacent cities. 
The Malbim says that David didn't want to have his guys around him. He didn't want to be surrounded with his military men all the time. Like he has this entourage, groupies, wherever he goes. So they spread out in the cities of Hebron. Rabbi Kahana points out the way the verse is worded. It says, Anshav Asher Imo, his men who were with him, Asher Imo, they were with him. And they went up to Hebron too. They were with him. They were with him through thick and thin. They were loyal and they suffered plenty with David. And now they're getting their reward. They're out of the underground. They're out of danger. And now they're living a normal life with their families. That's why it says, Ish ubeito, each one with his household. Finally, a little nachat. They deserve it because they were Imo. They were with him. Okay, so David is in Hebron. And now it says like this in verse 4. Vayvo anshe Yehuda. And the men of Yehuda, that is the Gdolim of Yehuda, the rabbis of Yehuda, the leaders, and they anointed David as king over the house of Yehuda. And then they told David and they said, They told David the whole story about the men of Yavesh Gilad who buried Saul. That we saw a couple chapters ago that they took him off the walls of Eitzhan and they buried him. So the big wigs of Yehuda, they update David about that. But let's look first at the, the first part of the verse, where it says, the men of Yehuda anoint David over the house of Yehuda. Now this is the second time that David was anointed. You remember, Shmuel anointed him way back in Bethlehem. But of course, that was a private anointing. This is a public thing. Saul as well, was also anointed by Shmuel the first time, also very private, on a rooftop. Nobody was present except for Saul and Shmuel the prophet. But afterwards, there was a public ceremony anointing Saul where the people were all present there. So the same thing here. He's being anointed now amongst his brethren. So David is now king of Hebron. Now, at this point, I want to mention something. I hear it all the time about the beginning of David's Malchut and how it starts. And it's always taught how David didn't force himself upon the nation. I often hear this idea put forth when learning these chapters, that David conducted himself in a way so there won't be internal strife in Am Yisrael. Since he's concerned about unity, he doesn't force himself upon the people. And sometimes it's even learned out from all this, the concept of democracy, that you can't rule without the people supporting you. That's what it seems to show here. David was anointed king, but he needs the people to agree. And all he's got now is the tribe of Yehuda. And the more modern commentaries or the shirim I listen to about this subject, it's like they're trying to attach a lot of concepts to the way David conducts himself. Mostly they talk about the thing of unity. David's not forcing the issue. He's not going to the people and saying, hey, God anointed me. You got to accept my authority. And so many want to say that he conducts himself this way because he's concerned with unity. But that could be oversimplifying it. And I want to read what Rabbi Kahana says here because he kind of takes it the other way. Rabbi Kahana writes the following on this verse where the men of Yehuda, they anoint David in Hebron. The rabbi writes like this. The men of Yehuda accept David as their legitimate and legal king and openly anoint him. And even though... The rest of the tribes don't accept his authority and his malchut. David, David 
is not worrying about the fact that he's creating a split because he knows that Hashem has chosen him as king. So Rabbi Kahn's commentary, it kind of changes the narrative about David and unity. After all, if David was so into unity, he would not have agreed to be king of Hebron. He's causing a split. The rabbi continues, and achdut, and shalom, and unity, and peace don't stand in the way of God's word. On the contrary, he who goes against God's word, that's the person who's preventing the shalom in Israel. On the other hand, though, David doesn't force his kingdom upon Israel. Okay, so that's quite a switch in the narrative about unity. The rabbi's saying here that, yeah, yeah, you could say David's for unity. He doesn't force it, doesn't force himself upon the people. But wait a minute. He is allowing himself to be the king over one tribe in Hebron. He's causing a split. What kind of unity is that? You could say he's being very divisive here, insisting on ruling when 10 tribes don't accept him. How dare he insists on being a king over one tribe while Am Yisrael already has a king over 10 tribes. We're going to see Saul's son is going to be king over 10 tribes. So if you look at it that way, David's not that much for unity. I mean, there's got to be truth too. You can't have unity based on falsehood. He was anointed as the king and he's going to actualize it as best as he can. Achdus, unity, it's nice but not on the cheshbon of what the truth is. And so we see here, it's not that simple that unity is where David's coming from. Because again, he is going against the flow and making himself king over one tribe. Now, this whole thing about not forcing himself on the people, is that showing some kind of democracy here? Isn't it more of a technical thing? You can't be king if nobody follows you. So of course he's not forcing himself. How are you going to force yourself upon the people? So, you know, there's no such thing as a king if nobody's following you. So, of course, he's not forcing anybody to accept him. How are you supposed to do that anyway? You need the people to accept you. So, I don't know if what we see in this story is some democratic principle about the people having a say in this. Isn't it just a technical issue that he can't rule if the people don't accept his authority? Okay, so that's just food for thought. Now, later, the same verse says that the Gedolim in Yehuda, they told David that the men of Yavesh Gilad, they told David what they had done, that they took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the walls of Bethshan and they gave them a proper burial. And it's kind of interesting that that's the first thing they tell David. You know, it sounds maybe like it's a political thing. They're saying to David, like, look, if you want to get in good with Saul's loyal following, you want to get in good with the people, say really nice things about the people of Yavesh Gilad for what they did. It's because they obviously love Saul. He saved them back in chapter 11. So, so you got to show that you have no grudges against them. And that'll be a unifying thing. And that's what David is going to do. He's going to praise the men of Yavesh Gilad for what they did. And of course, he genuinely praises him. His praise is genuine. But that doesn't mean there's a little politics going on here. And the next three verses now are going to be David's speech to the men of Yavesh Gilad. Okay, so let's see what David says to the men of Yavesh Gilad in these next three verses, starting with verse 5. David And David sent messengers to the people of Yavesh Gilad, and he said to them, Blessed are you, God should bless you, 
אשר עשיתם חסד הזה עם אדוניכם. ו-You did this kindness, you did this chesed for your master עם שאול, סול, וקברוהו אותו, and that you buried him. So David is showing right here, he's not angry with them for doing good by Saul. He's blessing them. Now, in Midi's politics, you don't bless the supporters of your rival. You destroy the family of your predecessor. You wipe out his supporters. That's usually how it goes. But David's showing the opposite. These men of Yavesh Gilad, who are the most loyal to Saul, they're the staunchest Saul supporters. David blesses them. ברוכים אתם להשם, he says to them. He's saying, כל הכבוד for the kindness you did for אדוניכם, for your master, for your Lord Saul. David has no problem using those terms. He's letting them consider Saul their אדון, their master. And he's saying, praiseworthy are you for endangering yourselves to bring back those bodies. אשריכם, that you brought those bodies back for a proper burial. And you prevented further Chilul Hashem by having them hanging up there on the walls of Beitshan. And so the people of Yavesh Galad, they had that personal connection to Saul, but also their action prevented a national Chilul Hashem, a national disgrace. And so they're like killing two birds with one stone, returning a favor, personal favor that Saul did for them. And they're removing this Cherpa, this national disgrace, where the former king of Israel is hanging there with his body decomposed. That's not a good look for us. Okay, so David continues in verse 6, addressing the men of Yavesh Galad, and he says, Va'ata, va'asa Hashem chesid imachem. Chesed ve'emet. And so, Hashem should do chesed for you. Chesed ve'emet. True kindness. Ve'gam anochi asay itchem tova. And I'll also do good by you. Asher asitim et ha'davar azeh. Because you did this thing. That is, you did this thing, you did this chesed shalamet, Hashem should repay you, and I'm also going to repay you. Okay, so notice, first of all, that we see the term chesed a lot here, right? Kindness. And we have here the term chesed ve'emet, true kindness. Because taking care of the needs of the deceased, that's always considered the purest chesed. It's chesed shalamet, because there can be no ulterior motives. When you help a dead person, he can't pay you back. The deceased can't return any favors to you. So it means you're doing this kindness without expecting anything in return. So that's the truest chesed you can have. And so David is saying, in the way that you did this chesed shalamet, may God repay you measure for measure chesed shalamet. Okay, so now after saying that, David explains now what the situation is now. What are the facts on the ground? And he says like this, va'ata. Again, he says, and now, in light of all this, be strong, be brave, be men of valor. Why? Because your master Saul, he died. And by the way, uh, the house of Yehuda anointed me as king over them. Okay, so David first tells them, be strong and brave. Why? Because Saul, he's not around anymore. And the Philistines, they might go after you. Because maybe someone informed on you guys that you took down the bodies from the walls of Eichan. The Philistines can't be happy about that. They might go after you. So you got to be careful. So you got to be strong. That's what the Perus, the Dat Mikras says. But generally speaking, David is telling them, 
Strengthen your hand. Why? Because we just lost a war and the Philistines, they're going to get more brazen. They might start oppressing the Jews, especially you guys who are isolated anyway on the East Bank. You've got to be ready for that. So be courageous and don't fear the Philistines. And he adds, of course, keep met Adonai Shaul. After all, Saul, your master, died and you're vulnerable because you don't have anyone to fight for you. So you got to be strong. And then David says, And don't forget, the men of Yehuda made me king over them. So David is saying, maybe you don't accept me, but the tribe of Yehuda accepts me and I'll fight for you too. Just like Saul fought for you, so will I. So we see here that David, he's kind of campaigning a little bit, but he means it. It's not like a campaign promise. He's throwing out promises like a politician. He means it. He wants the people of Yavesh Galad to know that he'll be there for them, just like Saul was. Anyway, that was a nice try by David, but we're going to see that the response of the people of Gilad, well, there is no response. The verses don't show any response. You know why? Because in the next verse, we're going to see that Avner Bener, Saul's captain of the host, has taken reins of Beit Shaul, of the house of Saul, and he's going to crown the son of Saul, whose name is Ishboshet, over all the cities of Israel, including Yavesh Gilad. After that great speech David just gave to the people of Yavesh Gilad, they're not accepting him. But at least he tried. And we'll see in the next verses how Avner Bener is taking Ishboshet, Saul's son, from place to place, and we're going to see a clash between Avner Bener and Yoav and Surya, a clash between Beit Shaul and Beit David in a civil war that's going to break out. We'll see that next week.